Welcome back to another edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And with me, as always, on Twitter, at the Sellsman, Matt Sells. Matt, I don't want to take any credit for what happened in the within the past week. Um, internally, I have let you know that the fact that I was going away on a work retreat probably meant that the lockout would end because I would be away from a computer to provide any sort of meaningful insight on it. And let alone, I'm waiting to actually go out for a, a work gathering that night. And I get the alert that the lockout is likely ending. And about seven minutes later, I got a DM from you. Um, I like to think that you were thank you were professing your gratitude towards me in terms of being a key cog in ending the lockout. But enough about me. Matt, how are things going for you? Uh, they are good. You know, we're baseball fans, which means we're superstitious, right? So the fact that you left town and we're not around a computer to update it and desperately wanted it to uh, end probably is what ended it, right? It probably wasn't the common sense of baseball players deciding that they wanted to play a full season and get paid a full amount of money and be in front of the fans for the full amount of time. Um, even though the executive board of the union voted against it, we have baseball back. So it's been a glorious weekend here uh, with baseball back, timeline filling up with guys showing up to camp, hashtag best shape season is back in form. Um, you know, there's been some free agency has been slow to happen right now, right? Some of the big names that we thought would be signed a little faster uh, have not been, but doesn't mean that there hasn't been news going all over the place. So that's what we're here to uh, break down for you today. Absolutely. And it's right now, I think with some of the free agent signs, like, yep, we know we had a pretty big domino fall with Nelson Cruz and like the, the Kyle Schwarber and Jorge Soler types were almost kind of waiting on the Cruz signing to occur. And we haven't had some of the bigger names, the Carlos Correa's, Trevor Stories, Freddie Freeman's as of when we're recording this, which is about one o'clock Eastern on Monday uh, this week, obviously. So hopefully we get some, I guess, more quality of the free agents. But even some of these guys that are signing one year little deals, we have it all updated in the Fantasy Alarm free agent tracker, which you can find um, at fantasyalarm.com. And alongside that, a lot of wealth of great information within the draft guide. We got the cheat sheet. If you're going to start doing best ball drafts, we got links to join those over RT Sports and with the NFBC and some BB10. So make sure you're there. If you're in the Fantasy Alarm Discord, make sure you're checking out for those links. Jump on in, draft with us, and let's really celebrate the start of the season. And we can actually start drafting with tangible information. None of these question marks any longer. So that is, in and of itself, very exciting. And even though the lockout ended just a few days ago, the News has already been coming out. Some has been great with some of these signings and other, well, not so much. The big domino dropped actually on Monday, and that's with one Fernando Tatis Jr. Not sure if you've heard of him, but he is out up to three months with a fractured wrist. There are some reports saying that he needs surgery, but they're not sure if surgery is going to happen. They might do like the natural rehab or something along those lines. I'll let you dive into this a little bit more. I do not like wrist injuries for hitters. It is not good. I remember when I played baseball, I hurt my wrist, came back, and it just didn't feel right for a little bit. So while he might get out there around that time, what's a feasible timeline for this guy to see the Tatis of, you know, of great health and the Tatis of like last year per se? So, you know, it's the second year in a row where we're heading in with question marks. Because if we flash back to last year, there was some question marks about his shoulder heading into camp and everybody kind of was like, well, 
it should be okay. Like, they're kind of brushing it off. And then he got himself injured and only missed the two weeks with the shoulder. And, yeah, he still put up very good numbers. Here's the thing, though. When you're swinging, you can actually kind of, you know, avoid injuring the shoulder and still produce as much power with your swing by simply adjusting the way you're swinging through things. That's not the case with the wrist. The power in your stroke basically comes from your wrist action. And so a broken wrist is not a great thing for a hitter. Uh, It can sap power pretty easily. Now, that being said, he is, his camp is already putting out there. He's a quick healer. I don't think it'll take three months, even if he has the surgery. Okay. Let's say it takes two months. Um, How does he come back though? Is the question, right? Is he, we can't expect him to be a 30, 30 guy this year like we were expecting right um so i've been kind of telling people in the fantasy alarm discord you kind of kind of treat them like byron buxton maybe a little you know a little better than byron buxton but to expect buxton to play a half a season and put up good numbers while he's playing that's about what you're going to get from tatis right now because even if he comes back the power is not going to be at full uh full go as soon as he comes back in all likelihood Absolutely. And it's another thing, too, aside, we always have concerns like, you know, if a Matt Olson type were to hurt his wrist or like Mike Moustakis or like Nick Castellanos dealt with a wrist issue, I believe it was last year, if I'm not mistaken. But when those guys come back, we expect the power to be sapped a little bit. Tatis has already had a couple of injuries here in his young and prolific career. Do you think there's any hesitancy that San Diego might say, hey, you don't got to run every time you get on. Like, you can keep the stolen base numbers down a little bit. We'd rather have you out there for more often. So we're really harping on the, the, the offensive production in terms of, you know, home runs, doubles, and everything like that. But should we start kind of tempering expectations in the stolen base department as well for Tatis? Yeah, I would think so. Um, obviously, you know, when you're sliding into a bag, you can more easily re-injure a wrist or a shoulder because if you slide in awkwardly and your hand catches or whatever – um, or hits the infielder's foot, or a whole variety of things. Um, yeah, I mean, steals definitely lead to more injuries. We're now seeing the Angels have conversations with Mike Trout about moving him off of center field and more to left field to reduce the injury load. Why? Because left fielders run a whole lot less than center fielders do, right? There's less ground to cover, less defensively important. Um, so, if running and coming into contact with things breeds injuries, cutting down steals generally can prolong uh, a guy's career. Not to mention, Tatis is a pretty good defensive shortstop. And so, you know, yeah, it's the offense we like to focus on for fantasy. But for reality, I'm sure that the Padres want a very good defensive shortstop out there as much as possible, especially given the deal that they've already signed him to. So... We'll we'll see when more news comes out and if he actually winds up going under the knife. But if he doesn't, I'm concerned because a broken wrist isn't going to heal itself all that well and power's still not going to come from it. And you say it's to move, you know, move Trout to the corner outfield to keep him healthy. I say it's to open the door for Brandon Marsh to excel this year because clearly they've been listening to our podcast. It, well, I hear Marsh could be, right. I mean, Marsh has the speed to play center, yeah. right? But. Yeah, I think it's probably to keep their uh, all-world center fielder, well, outfielder, really uh, healthy because you're not going to put him at DH because then you can't have Otani's bat in the lineup. So, yeah, tomato, tomato. That's what I'm hearing here. 
Another injury that we got to talk about here, although it doesn't come as much a surprise, almost a more of a rinse and repeat type thing, but oft injured yet very talented starter Lance McCullers already being told essentially that he will not be starting the season on time due to a setback um, with the current injury that's going on. We were already kind of temper your expectations with him. You know what you're getting when he's healthy, but the operative aspect of that sentence there is the latter part when he's healthy. We're already coming into the year with question marks. It's it's hard to say never to anyone because if someone falls far enough, you're willing to take the dive. But I mean, we've been pretty not even anti McCullers. It's more so just we've been against his health and track record there. And now we're already starting the season with a setback. Not a great look. Right. A few weeks ago, we played uh, this or that, that he was in there. And we both said we like his strikeout stuff when he's healthy. Well, the problem is he's almost never fully healthy. Right. So it becomes um, kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point. But um, yeah, um, there's not really a timeline for him. They just said he's behind. Um and I don't know if it was a full setback or that he just didn't get as much work done uh, in the lockout. This was also one of the things I pointed out when we were first doing the segment uh, between a uh, you know a rock and a hard place or a lock and a hard place, whatever it was, um, where I said guys who are on injuries uh, can't communicate with the teams right now. So they're going to have to do their own you know routines to try to get back to health and they're going to, you know, maybe their routines won't update as quickly as they need to, like they would be if they were talking to the team trainer. So obviously if he falls far enough, you're willing to take him, but he's got to fall pretty decently far at this point. I mean, the team around him is good, but you can't have a pitcher starting the season injured, trying to get back. And then a guy who usually gets injured mid season anyway. It's, it's almost like you're dancing with the devil. And what you said there is exactly right. Like McCullers even said it. He admitted that his rehab has been, the word he used was choppy, which I think is a great word for it. Because he's saying he wasn't able to keep in contact with team trainers during the lockout, wasn't able to communicate with them. That's pretty much what we have said multiple times here. Now, I'm, I guess I'm a, I'm a sucker for words and different ways of saying things can cause you to lead a certain thing. So I'm curious if you look into this at all. But in this article that I'm reading saying that McCullers is starting the year with a setback, uh, manager Dusty Baker had confirmed that McCullers suffered, quote, a setback or two. Now, I don't know if I'm looking too much into it, but this just seems a little bit odd. And it's, it's, I, I don't know if it's just the, the sheer words that were uttered by Dusty Baker or if it's the fact that McCullers had a career high last year, got injured after the career high season oft injured, now has a setback, and the manager says, quote, a setback or two. Am I looking too much into this? It kind of seems like I am. Um, I don't know. Why would he say or two? I mean, I know it's like, you know, a turn of phrase to go, yeah, I had this or that, you know. But when you're talking about injuries, why not try to minimize it instead of throw out there, yeah, by the way, he might have had two setbacks. Um. That doesn't seem like doesn't seem great. And I know Dusty is um, a guy who likes to be careful with his words usually. So, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's not great to have the or two in there. It certainly gives me pause as well. And I think it's it'd be it'd be something where if we're talking about someone who's logged 200 plus innings for the past six years and it's a setback or two, you know, workhorse, well-established, maybe we overlook it a little bit. But for Guy McCullers, he has not quite earned 
that track record with us. But another starter, when you look at it here in Philly with Zach Wheeler, you know, back in 2018, 182 innings, 2019, 195, and then a career high 213 innings last year. He's behind schedule with what I believe they're calling a sore shoulder, if I remember correctly. So he did say he's feeling good and that he thinks he can pitch the first week of the season. I would be very surprised if Philly rushes him. I would take it safe with one of their top starters. So, I mean, obviously we have to talk about this from a fantasy perspective. Do you drop Wheeler down at all from where he's going? I mean, he's routinely a top, maybe anywhere from five to 10 starter off the board, probably closer to the back half of that range, but you got to drop him a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, shoulders are a big concern for pitchers at this point, right? It's kind of flipped a corner. It used to be shoulders weren't that big of a concern. Guys could pitch through it or deal with it and elbows were the problem. And then it's completely switched where elbows, we basically know how to fix at this point. Shoulders, seem to be the problem child for pitchers. So um, if it's just a sore shoulder and a little bit of case of dead arm, okay. But the way that he described it was that he got the sore shoulder while he was trying to do some off-season work on his own, and it's kind of lingered. So, I mean, I haven't heard the phrase MRI mentioned. I haven't heard any scans being done. So I'm sure that they're going to take it easy with him, but that's definitely concerning that he's not going to be up to innings uh, at the start of the season, for sure. So if you're losing, I mean, if you lose, let's say, a couple of weeks from him, that's probably, what, three starts from a number two starter? So not huge, but you, you can't be taking him as the top 10 guy and only get 31 starts at best, depending on what this turns into. So looking at it here, I'm looking at uh, on fantasy alarm, we pull in some ADP. I'm just looking at the ones coming in from NFBC and in 15 teamers. He's on average about the sixth starter off the board coming off. And then after him is you got DeGrom, Liam Hendricks, Shane Beaver, Josh Hader, Julio Urias, Aaron Nola. Does he drop behind each of those guys for you? Because once you get to there, then we're seeing like the Sandy Alcantara, Luis Giolito, or Lucas Giolito and Robbie Wright. For me, I'm going to still take Wheeler above the Alcantara types, uh, but I think for me, I got to drop Wheeler behind the Urias and Nola range. Yeah, because to me, you know, you're taking Wheeler not only for, I mean, his ratios will be fine when he comes back, right? But you're taking him for the innings and the strikeouts. If he loses, let's say, three starts, and Wheeler pitched seven innings a ton last year, and let's say he has... I don't know. He averaged better than a strikeout per inning, right? So let's just figure that's about 10 strikeouts to start in seven innings. That's 30 strikeouts you're not getting if he misses three starts. So that's that's kind of a big deal in Roto, right? 30 strikeouts is is a decent deal out of a top starter. So yeah, I would I would drop him behind Nola at this point. Um, might even go. Behind Alcantara, I think I'm a little higher on him than you are, but I'd still take him over Robbie Ray because I just don't like the park of the situation for Robbie Ray. Agreed. I'm in the same boat. I'm looking here just from the 2021 season. Wheeler made 32 starts and 27 of those starts. He recorded 18 outs, a.k.a. he completed six innings, 27 out of 32 innings. Quite impressive for him. And then in New York, we did have the news that uh, Pete Alonso is in a pretty uh, brutal 
car accident. Haven't heard too much about like his health. He did, I guess the report came out that he said he's still blessed to be here. I said his car flipped three times. So hopefully everything is okay with him. He did, I believe he said everyone in the car was okay. So hopefully that is the case. He, as well as everyone else involved, um, are doing okay. We suffered on that, again, car accident on the way to Mets spring training. So that's a little bit of the news and notes. And of course, after the lockout, it seems like everyone was just so excited. It's like when you get MLB the show, you start a franchise, and the first thing you do is just start trading everybody. doesn't yep. even matter. Just trade everyone, trade, 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 get out of here, get the players that I want because I didn't select the fantasy draft option when setting the franchise. So we got a couple of trades here to talk about. One that is I'm going to hold the one that I'm most excited to talk about, and I think that you're going to be as well. But we'll start with the Oakland and Mets deal, which saw Chris Bassett head to the New York Mets to help with that rotation. So it looks like the trade, the Mets got Chris Bassett, sent over JT Ginn and Adam Aller. I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly. So Bassett was already a guy that I thought was undervalued, was in a very good spot, now goes to a team that you could make a case might be a little bit better offensively, especially if Oakland ships out. Matt Olson. So overall, I think the Mets did a good job acquiring another starter and undervalued one of that. And for fantasy value, I, I think Bassett really only goes up from here. Yeah, uh, I was I kept Bassett when he was in Oakland. I had him as my number two starter in fantasy behind Walker Bueller. Uh, I also had Cease there, too. But if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how I traded uh, Cease away to get more keeper value going forward. Um, so as a guy who Chris Bassett, I was uh, I was happy for the fantasy value, right? Uh, in real life, it's a problem for me because I'm not the biggest Mets fan, so I don't really want to have to root for Bassett to do well every fifth day because that means the Mets are going to do well every fifth day. Um, but yeah, in in terms of you know run support, I think he gets a bump there. In terms of a better division to face, uh, I don't think you can make the argument that he got worse, right? Um, Miami's still up and coming the Nats. Yeah. They just got Nelly Cruz, but like they got two, two good hitters in that lineup. Right. Um, Atlanta, they're pretty decent, but they can be shut down too. So, um, and Philly is kind of hit and miss depending on the month of the season. So I think from a fantasy value, Bassett goes up. The Mets needed another starter to really finish off that rotation. And, um, JT Ginn is a very nice prospect. For Oakland to get, um, he's got like number two starter upside, but you know we all know with Oakland he'll probably be shipped out of there in about five years anyway. So you know look for him on the trade market in 2027. <laughs> yeah, and when you look at it with Bassett, I mean over the past two calendar years, I'm looking here at Fangraphs pitchers that have thrown. Let me say this: starters who have thrown at least. 200 innings. Bassett has the seventh best ERA in that stretch. Sure, he struck out under a batter per inning, but he doesn't get beat by the long ball. Again, 2.90 ERA and his 3.41 FIP. Even if he gets closer to that, I mean, 3.4 is still pretty darn good. That's still within the top 20 in the parameters that I mentioned above. So, at and the keep very in mind, league, he was doing that in the American yes. League. Yes. And doing it in the AL West facing the Angels lineup, which was pretty good. The Astros lineup is pretty good. Um, so, and the Mariners have been pretty good, too. So I think this is a good move for Bassett. Yeah, and it's a good move for the Mets, too, because when you look at it, you know, over the past two calendar years, he's logged 220 innings on the bump. And the one knock that you could probably get on the Mets rotation, and this even precedes just 2022, is a lot of talent, oft injured. 
And right. there have been some questions there. And Bassett, at least in the past couple of years, has been um, he's been out there. And the best ability is availability. And for a New York pitcher, that is arguably all they can ask for there. Another starter was on the move that you and I both really, really like. And now I think we're getting to the point of really, 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 really liking him. And that's Sonny Gray, who is going to Minnesota. He's out of Great American Small Park. And that in of itself is a positive. And you look at his splits, if you don't touch on it, I'll definitely touch on it. But even for just being in Cincinnati and in 2021 in particular, the road numbers were far better than those at home. Hard to really imagine that, given that his prior home park was a, I'll call it a launching pad, and didn't really play for him well. So Sonny Gray, we already liked him. We talked about it a good bit. So I'm going to kind of give you a loaded question here, but why do we like him even more now? Well, when did everybody really, really, really like Sonny Gray? When he was in Oakland, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because the ballpark is pitcher friendly. Okay. Minnesota is basically the same as Oakland in that regard. Not to mention the AL Central offenses he gets to face are far easier to face than the NL Central offenses. Uh, pitching in Comerica in Detroit is going to be very nice for him. Uh, pitching in Kansas City is going to be nice for him. So, you know, um, not not quite as much run support for him. That's a little bit of a knock. But I think his ratios get better for sure. Um, the strikeout numbers might go up given the quality of offenses he's going to be facing. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like this move for Sonny Gray. Um, and I think you can still – I think people are still sleeping on him. And nobody pays attention to Minnesota, uh, to be honest. So I think you can still get him in a very nice value. And he's – He's, I mean, you and I were high on him in Cincinnati, so we're only going to go up from here. And it's, I talked about, if you go to Fantasy Alarm, you can see the, what we call like the player outlooks or player capsules, whatever you want to call them. And I kind of talked about in there that his strikeout numbers have remained good, dropped his average exit velocity for the third straight season, which is impressive in Great American Small Park. And four of his six pitchers had a whiff rate north of 30%. And since he went to Cincinnati, 3.71 ERA at home, 3.25 on the road. So, again, just getting out of that ballpark is a net positive in and of itself. Minnesota right. it's, like getting has, a, it's like getting a pitcher out of course, right? Yes. It's a, net, it's a net positive regardless. And when you look at it, too, from this angle, from what we've seen from Minnesota here in the offseason, we're going to touch on it in a bit, it doesn't sound like they're done. They're going to continue to do things, and they could, there's still time to add an impact bat to really go along with some other still talented pieces that they have in that offense. So I, I love this move for Sonny Gray a lot. I am very excited for it. And then we also have another deal that was happened, which is going to lead into another one. But Texas went out, and they sent over um, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who we talked about quite a bit, and Ronnie Henriquez to Texas for Mitch Garver. So for about maybe 22 and a half hours, Ryan Jeffers was the guy in Minnesota as the catcher. He looked like a cheap uh, option behind the dish for decent power, even though he might drain your batting average a little bit. Garver would go to Texas and presumably start with Jonah Heim acting as a backup. And Connor Falefo is going to be a everyday infielder somewhere on the left side of the infield for Minnesota. However, we're going to hold off on Connor Falefa. So let's just talk Mitch Garver here. He's got to start for Texas. He has to. There's no way Jonah Heim starts over him. So we've seen it with Garver, big time pop. Batting average should be fine. So, I mean, 
arguably getting out of any sort of time here has to boost Garver up considerably behind the dish. Yeah, I mean, I don't see any reason why he's not the starting option in Texas. Jonah Heim is okay. I mean, the Rangers took a shot at him on it as a young catcher, but, like, he's okay. Um, <clears throat> Texas does have some intriguing dudes coming up in, through the system, but none of them have really um, proven themselves as of yet. So Garber is going to be the starting option in terms of switch from Minnesota to Texas. I think it's basically neutral in terms of offense. Um, you know, I, I don't know what you can make of having Seeger and Simeon in that lineup as well. Uh, I mean, Nate Lowe is decent. Okay. But it's basically the same offensive situation for him as opposed to Minnesota. So he'll, he'll be a starter. That'll help him a little bit, maybe add some pop. But as far as Ryan Jeffers, I don't know, man, he's, if he doesn't beat out Gary Sanchez, I think there's a problem with Jeffers. Yep, and that is the basically the other domino that fell about 22 hours later. The one thing with Garver is, sure, maybe the Texas Stadium does favor pitcher slightly, but he has enough raw power. If he gets a hold of it, it's going to go regardless of where he is. So he should be in line for 20-plus home runs this season. I'm quite confident in that for 2022. But Minnesota legend Isaiah Kiner-Falefa for all 22 hours was then shipped to New York in quite an interesting um, deal. I can with great confidence say this was one I was certainly not expecting. So the deal between Minnesota and Yankees essentially sent Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Kiner Falefa to the Yankees with uh, Gary Sanchez and uh, Gio Urshela heading to Minnesota. And I believe Minnesota sent over a, a catcher back, uh, Ben Ortbet. I believe I'm probably saying that wrong, but very interesting deal. So kind of go ahead and break down this deal between the Yankees and twins. Um, so it's slightly confusing Right, because the whole time we've heard the Yankees have been involved in first base talks and they claim that they're still involved in first base talks. So in a second, you'll figure out why I, I, I don't fully understand that one. But OK, so you get Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who you've wanted from the Rangers for a while. Like everybody knows the Yankees wanted Kiner-Falefa. His defense is very good. Um, they can deal with the less pop at shortstop, right? Because let's face it, Glaber Torres didn't exactly give him any pop last year. Um, but defensively, they get better there. The issue that I have with it is I don't know why you need Josh Donaldson at third base, right? Sure, if he stays healthy, which he didn't do last year, and everybody's like, well, it was the first year he wasn't healthy. Okay, but he also turned 35 last year. Now he's 36. Dudes tend to get injured a lot more in their late 30s, right? Just happens to... Everybody, I'm like basically the same age as Josh Donaldson. I woke up out of bed the other day and my back was screwed up because I got out of bed. So I, I don't get how that makes you better defensively at third base. Um, there's also a gelling issue because he apparently does not like Garrett Cole very much at all. Um, and you basically bailed the Twins out of $50 million for, again, no real reason. So the the... The infield right now for the Yankees is Donaldson at third, Kiner Falefa at short. You move Torres back to second. And then you've got, I guess, DJ LeMahieu and Luke Voigt in a platoon role because Voigt's still on the roster at first base. I don't understand why everybody forgets this, but Voigt is still on the roster at first. And then you have DJ LeMahieu. So I don't know. The other problem is at catcher. I mean, Higashioka's okay, but like Ben Brevoort. I don't know. So somebody tweeted out yesterday that the the 
catching coach for the Yankees used to be with the Twins, and he knows this Ravort guy. Okay, I mean, great, but whatever. He's a backup catcher. The thing that they keep stating is that it, it you know, they're not going to block the way for Oswaldo Peraza or uh, Volpe at shortstop, which I get. They're two very, very talented prospects. But but if they continue to go after Freddie Freeman, like they've said, or Matt Olson, like they've said, or Anthony Rizzo, like they've said, what do you do with Torres or LeMahieu or Kiner Falefa? Do you just play them in a rotation? Because I would assume that Torres would be the odd man out there, right? Or are you, if you go get Olson, do you give up Torres to go get Olson? Well, I was going to ask you that question so now you're going to flip it to me i would think the yankees are going to move torres that's what i think has to happen put lemay in right. second and then whether you play void at first or you go out and get a matt olsen type essentially or it seems like they're kind of out on freddie freeman so he's probably out but if you ask me i i would assume that glaber torres is on the way out and i wouldn't there might be the tie with uh with word vet but i mean the guy hit a buck 69 with the basically a 30% strikeout rate last year across 100 yeah. plate appearances. I don't Maybe the Yankees are making a deal for a catcher too. So maybe if Torres, if he's not involved in first base or a, a player for at first base, maybe it goes for behind the dish. But one would have to think the ideal scenario would be Olsen or Void at first, LeMahieu at second, uh, Kiner Falefa at short, and Josh Donaldson at third. Yeah. Health willing, you would have to assume that would be their ideal layout of the infield. Right. Or do you ship Torres to a team like Cincinnati and try to get like Male? Or give some more prospects and go get Castillo? Right. That's they need pitching. Yes. Yes. Like, they do. They it's Eric Cole and 17 question marks on that pitching staff. So I would have said I would have said about 23, so I think you're being nice with 17, but absolutely. I, I would think by the time we do the podcast next week, Labor Torres is not donning the pinstripes. That would be my assumption. I would assume that to be true, too, because the, he becomes an extra dude now. Like, if you covet IKF for his defense and you have DJ LeMahieu and you're keeping him in the lineup to improve your batting average, Torres has no spot, which I'm fine with, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, you've got to package him and some lower-level prospect to go get I don't even know that you need Matt Olson. Like, I would prefer that they package Torres and a lower-level prospect to go get pitching help, to be honest. Like, if the Reds are shipping pitchers out of town, go get Tyler Molle. Or, I don't but, know. It's, I mean. Yeah, but how nice would Olsen be in Yankee Stadium? I'm not convinced we need him. Luke Voigt has been good when he's played. Agreed, but... If, if Voight was healthy Yankees, last year, would the Yankees be in the first base conversation at all? Probably not, but if you're going to let the other team score seven runs, you better make sure you're scoring eight. And Voight can hit as well as... I mean, I'm I'm still not convinced that, that Matt Olson is an upgrade over Luke Voight. No, I I mean, I understand. I, I get it. It's just a matter of, like, when you've seen the Yankees teams have passed, it's... Let's, you know, let's go the Texas, the now the new school Texas approach. Let's go get all of these guys and we'll bring in one arm and call it a day and we'll figure it out. We'll score eight runs. Then you get to the playoffs and you rack up 13 strikeouts that don't go anywhere. Right. So, and that's 13 offensive strikeouts, not with your pitcher because Garrett Cole can only throw once every couple of days. So, yeah, exactly. 
Interesting. It is interesting. There's going to be more deals. We'll definitely continue talking about them. Uh, we're constantly updating the uh, player player outlooks, player previews, whatever you want to call those there on the site. So those are being updated as trades happen. Uh, my fingers are sore from doing all of the free agency tracker and updating that. Anybody who signs, uh, not really touching on minor league deals unless it's a player that I expect to get up to the top there. But that is an updated document. It was last updated this morning. It's already got the Nelson Cruz, Ian Kennedy, Juris Familia, Nico Goodrum, all of those signings in from the weekend. So make sure you continue to check that out, especially if you have any drafts upcoming or you once again join one of those uh, best balls that we have, whether it's with Howard and RT Sports or with me over in the BB10s on the NFBC. So, Matt, with the last little bit that we have here, I want to talk to you here. So we're going to ignore the signings that happened uh, prior to the lockout occurring. So since the lockout has ended on Thursday, for fantasy purposes only, I've written a lot of these free agents that have signed in the tracker and basically said, this is a much better move in reality than fantasy. The teams are getting better. Us fantasy managers aren't really going to be pay paying too much attention to that. So strictly fantasy-wise, since the lockout has ended and work has resumed, which, which signing has been the best to date for a fantasy perspective? For a fantasy perspective... Hmm. I'm almost surprised you're not just jumping at the bit and saying Nelson Cruz, perfect, big bopper in the middle of my team's lineup. That's where I thought you were going. So this this deep breath you're taking almost has me a little concerned that you might not like the Cruz signing. I mean, I do. I really do as a fan of the team and getting to watch Soto and Cruz back to back in a lineup is is pretty impressive. And yeah, for a fantasy standpoint, Nelly Cruz will be just fine. I mean, Nats Park is about a spare of a park. Uh, park factor wise as you can get um so yeah from a fantasy perspective i mean somebody tweeted out the, the yesterday that even though he's 41 years old he's received either all-star votes or mvp votes in each of the last nine seasons so there's no sign of slowing down there i think he'll be a good fit but in terms of um fantasy value I think, I mean, it wasn't a signing, but I'll just go back to Sonny Gray. I think the Sonny Gray mm -hmm. one is just the best overall fantasy upside trade we've seen to this point. Um, the other ones are good. Bassett clearly good. But I would say that in terms of fantasy value, I think Sonny Gray's fantasy value benefited the most from that move. Yeah, from, from the trade's perspective, I definitely think it's great. I, again, I do like the Bassett one as well. If we're talking signings, for me, again, I talked a lot about ones that are better in reality than in fantasy. Like for example, like Ian Kennedy going to Arizona, better in reality, not as much for fantasy. You got to think he's probably splitting with Melanson at least to begin the year. But yeah, that me, actually sucks because I banked on I kept Kennedy <laughs> yeah. banking that he would sign as a closer, and then he went to like the worst spot yeah. he could have gone to for closing. Absolutely, yeah, that that's a tough one. We might actually talk about that one in a little bit. But for me, for a fantasy perspective, I love. I love Yusei Kikuchi going to Toronto. I'm not, listen, he's not this year's Robbie Ray just because he is a lefty that signed in Toronto and everything's going to turn around. I quite frankly don't expect him to do that. But last year he enjoyed an uptick in his K per nine, got to 9.34 K per nine. You know, the home run to fly ball rate should drop from last year. I know he's facing some good offenses in the American League East, but don't forget there's a lot of strikeout potential in the American League East. The Yankees strike out a lot. 
the Orioles don't go on a good bit. So it's a good landing spot for Kikuchi. He's not going to front line that rotation. He's going to hang out in the back half or third, however you want to look at it. But in terms of where he's going in drafts, he's a very, very good value as a back-end fantasy starter. And I am super, super curious to see in some of these drafts that are upcoming just how much he gets pushed up, especially going to Toronto. Good offense. Should have a good offense behind him. Plenty of runs. And the strikeouts are there. So, again, he is not this year's Robbie Ray. This It will not happen. Kikuchi's not going to win the Cy Young this year. But he's going to be a very reliable back-end fantasy starter in 2022. Now, worst signing to date. Kind of touched on Ian Kenny there a little bit. So, if that is yours, go right ahead. I have another closer that I'm going to touch on. I, I hate this landing spot. So, we'll – you know, screw it. I'll go first. I do not like Alex Colome going to Colorado. I, he was a guy you could probably get for cheap, potentially closing. It's just, there's a lot of issues. The 305 BABIP was above his career norm last year. So sure, even if that drops, he doesn't strike out a ton of batters and he allows a ton of hard contact. Hard contact doesn't play well in course field unless you keep the ball on the ground a good bit. And that is not necessarily the strength of his game. I get it. Daniel Bard, Carlos Estevez are there, but one has to think Colome is going to get the, the save on opening day or whenever Colorado gets their first lead late in the game. But for me, again, I know he's a closer. I know closers have value just because they're the closer, but his batted ball profile at Coors Field is a massive, massive risk and a huge liability that someone will be undertaking in fantasy in 2022. I do not like this spot for him. Yeah. I have to agree with you on on that one. When I saw it, I was very confused as to, like, did you all do any research before finding out, um, you know, deciding to sign him? Um, for a fantasy perspective, if you were hoping to get a late value, a late round closer, Ian Kennedy going to Arizona takes a lot of the wind out because they already have Mark Melanson, um, who's very um, stable in that role. Um, so Kennedy's only going to get a handful of saves, like when Melanson needs a day off or something. So, or, you know, barring injury, which we don't hope happens, but that's just not a great landing spot for him at all. Yeah. And also when you look at it too, Kennedy's going to Arizona, Melanson is there. The other one you could say is, you know, Juris Familia could have potentially got a potential closing role, but that's not going to happen. He's going to Philly where Corey Knable is there. And I also believe that Philly inked a deal with Brad Hand just to further to further really mess with the, the back end of the rotation there. And they also have Jose Alvarado, who throws incredibly hard. And sometimes I just got into watching Blitzball on YouTube, and it seems like sometimes he's throwing a Blitzball or a Frisbee and not an actual baseball with how much movement his stuff has. So there's going to be more signings and everything like that. So it'll be very interesting to see kind of what the next domino to fall is. By the next time we do the podcast, what closer are we talking about that, you know, gained or lost fantasy value? Where did Glaber Torres go since we're both in the agreement that he gets traded? Where is Matt Olson? Is he in Yankee Stadium popping 40-plus bombs this year? Or potentially Cleveland has been talked about as a spot for him with their, I guess they have a pretty decent farm system. So we'll have to see what happens come the next edition here of this podcast, which will be next week. But we do have a couple minutes left. Matt will rapid fire these off quick. Carlos Correa, Freddie Freeman, and Trevor Story are all still out there. We got to talk about where they're going to go. You know, maybe the Yankees just say, screw it. We'll get another infielder. I don't think that is going to happen. So Freddie Freeman, we'll start with him. It seems like it's the Dodgers or Braves. Do you have a lean either way there? I think he goes to L.A. 
to be honest. Um, LA can offer more money than Atlanta can. He's also from SoCal. Um, he still lives there. He still has a house there. His wife and kids live there. I'm pretty sure all season. Uh, when he got COVID a couple of years ago, he was he you know stayed in LA or well SoCal, basically Orange County. Um, so I think he goes to LA. Max Muncy's already said he's fine playing second. Um, and that helps the Dodgers out because then they get the defensive liability that is Gavin Lux out of the defense uh, a bunch because obviously you got Trey Turner short. Um, so I think that he winds up in, in L.A., yeah. And then the next one we have here is going to be Carlos Correa. Supposedly Houston has reentered the conversation about bringing him back. I'm a little skeptical if he returns there, but what, what do you think for Carlos Correa? Yeah, I mean, we heard rumblings that Correa was willing to play third base in the right situation. Uh, clearly, the Yankees don't need him at this point. If you get Correa, uh, you've got too many infielders. You're going to have to move somebody that you just traded for. So, um, that being said, man, I don't know. I, I think the Cubs are still in on Correa. I think the Cubs are going to mm-hmm. pull a, a shocker and go get Correa. I believe the next one we have here is Trevor Story. I'm going to take the easy way out. One of these two, I believe, ends up in Minnesota. I don't know which it's going to be. One of them, I think, goes there. Maybe it'll be Trevor Story. But I, they, they got to add another bat. I just see it happening. That's that's where I'm going. So Correa or Story is going to end up in Minnesota for me. My only question with that is they have a couple of good young shortstop prospects that are coming up. Like if Royce Lewis hadn't torn his ACL last year, he would have been up with the team last year. So I'm not sure that they want to, uh, you know, get 50 million off their books for Donaldson and then go sign a, you know, Correa is now with Boris. So he wants $340 million, which is insane to me for Carlos Correa. But I I don't know that Minnesota wants to go that route right now, to be honest. Um, So we'll see. We'll see. You might be right, but I think Correa winds up in Chicago and, Trevor Story, uh, I'm going to make a crazy prediction here. The Trevor Story winds up going to another NL West team, and he winds up in San Diego. Well, given Monday's news, sounds like there could be an opening. Because here's the thing. San Diego needs an outfielder, right? Why not play Story at short and move Tatis to outfield when he gets back? From your mouth to San Diego's ownership's ears. I mean, they have C.J. Abrams who can come up and play second. They got uh, Ha-Sung Kim who can play all over the place. Jake Cronenworth can play all over the place. But they need another bat in that lineup. Mm-hmm. Well, and they were, I believe they were, well, most of the NL, it sounded like any NL contender was pretty much in on the Nelson Cruz type. So San Diego's kind of tipped their hat. They they wanted a bat, and they still need a bat. Right. So you maybe... could also put Tatisa D.H. too. Well, let's... Let's slow that train. Or Machado at DH, and you play Correa or Story or Tatis at third. Well, all of my best ball teams are hoping for Jorge Alfaro or Will Myers at DH. So, <laughs> you know, I was with you. I was with you the whole time, but you lost me there at the end. I'm. We can't have that happen. Can't have that happen. Not on. Not on my teams with my third catcher and Jorge Alfaro and you know Will Myers is my kind of late round guy. But we'll have to see. Like I said, so much is going to play out. We'll make sure we stay on top of it here at Fantasy Alarm. Our draft guide constantly updates. 
there's the cheat sheet. So if you have drafts coming up, you'll have that available. Free agent signs are constantly updated in the MLB free agent tracker. We're updating player outlooks, and there's always great content coming throughout the week. I believe each day of the week, a different positional preview is coming out. Um, a little birdie told me that our staff mock draft is happening. I believe it's tonight, so that will be coming out in the coming days as well. So you can see who, you know, what players that I pick don't you like? Who did Howard take? What about Jim, Matt, and everyone else here at Fantasy Alarm? So, Matt, as we wrap this one up, everyone can find you on Twitter at The Sells Man. Obviously, you have all the NASCAR content coming out, but kind of just give a, give a preview of the week ahead for you and writing at Fantasy Alarm. Yeah, so uh, we've got auction values uh, updates coming uh, as well with all this movement and league switching and trades and signings and injuries and whatnot. We've got auction value updates coming in the next day or so. Uh, closer grid was updated Friday. That'll be updated again uh, in the next couple of days um, by someone at FA. So, you know, because there's been a lot of closer movement as well. Um, and then NASCAR, we get uh, good old Atlanta, Georgia has the race this weekend. It's going to be quite crazy and uh for those of you that also like my racing coverage i will be having f1 betting pieces coming out this weekend too for the start of that season uh they start this weekend in bahrain so quite a lot of different sports we got coming got covering here so absolutely make sure you check out all of that content as for me uh at colby r conway on twitter free agent tracker and player outlooks is where about 99 percent of my time is spent and we'll preview catchers every Saturday. Again, I know it's not the most glamorous offensive position, but there is some value to be had there. You can follow Matt on Twitter at the salesman. Once again, I'm at Colby R. Conway. Make sure you get all of the MLB stuff at Fantasy Alarm. Any questions you have as drafts approach and keeper deadlines and best ball drafts, if you're not in the Fantasy Alarm Discord, that is where you need to be. You have access to Matt, myself, and everybody else as well as some other awesome folks that are in there as well. So I can't wait to see what dominoes drop this week. We'll keep you updated at fantasyalarm.com. And then until next time, we will see you next week.